0: Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg, and welcome to Byline Radio. Or if you're listening on catch up to the Byline Times podcast from the Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report, and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, the latest from Ukraine with Zarina Zabrisky reporting live from Odessa. She has seen the horrors of Mykolaiv, a city on the front line of the conflict, and she brings to a story of hope and defiance from Snake Island. First, though, just to remind The Byline Radio and The Byline Times podcast are funded by subscribers to The Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. We can report without fear or favour because we don't have to dance to the tune of a wealthy proprietor. Our funding comes from ordinary readers taking out subscriptions too. The Byline Times. So, please subscribe if you can. You'll find details of how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com, our news breaking website. If you've already taken out a subscription, thank you very much indeed. So, let's hear now from Zarina. Uh, Hello, Zarina. We're recording this or going live on Byline Radio, depending on when you're listening to it uh, in the evening, and it's quite late at night where you are in Odessa. So, just just tell me the current situation, please.
1: Yes, uh, Adrian, thanks for having us again, and thanks for giving airtime for Ukraine. It's really important now. I know that it's summer, and there's a lot going on, and the attention is not as um, much focused on the war anymore, but um, since I'm here and reporting from here, I can tell you that Um, This attention is really needed and a lot is going on and um, the situation while I'm being an optimist or I heard today a realistic optimist uh, is rather rough and uh, today I'm going to be bringing you news from Odessa and the Black Sea and Snake Island, which is uh, about 50 kilometers from here in the sea, and also from Mykolaiv, which is about 160 kilometers from here. It takes about an hour and a half to get there by car, and that city right now is being pummeled by the Russian artillery. And I just went there for an interview uh, with the advisor of the governor, um, uh, who is also the, the governor there, is the head of the military administration. So um, this person is pretty high up. And it was quite a dramatic visit. So I'm going to tell you about that if you will, Oh, yeah, abso-
0: absolutely. And, and just so people can get a sense of this, people in the UK and the United States will have heard of the city of Kherson, uh, written Kershon, but it's pronounced Kherson, I think, which is a part of Ukraine that is now occupied by Russia. So, Mykolaiv is, I guess, next door and uh, therefore the the next big piece of ground, the next city of significant size that Russia is seeking to occupy.
1: That is true. That is correct. That's a good point. Uh, Let me just give you guys a breakdown. Um, Let's imagine that we are looking at the map and we are looking at the very south of Ukraine, um, and that's where we here have the border with the Black Sea. And of course, uh, it's always strategically important to have access to the sea. And for that, Russia is uh, very eager to fight Uh, And um, about two months ago, uh, one Russian general whose name I do not remember because he wasn't very significant and kind of disappeared after this announcement, but nevertheless made a fairly important announcement that the plan, the long term plan for Russia, the strategy is to uh, capture, seize uh, the southern territories of Ukraine, and that would include Kherson, which is currently under temporary temporary occupation, Mykolaiv, which is still standing after 127 days of this war of aggression, Odessa, uh, which is standing very very strong, and then on all the way uh, to. Uh, Moldova and to the territory which is uh, currently a breakaway state not recognized by any countries called Transnistria or Pridnistrovia in uh, Russian, and which is very much under the Russian uh, influence and, I wanted to say under Soviet influence, because it looks like a little colony and uh, flashback from the Soviet Union. Uh, So, by capturing all these territories, uh, Russia plans to first Announce it a separate separate state, uh, kind of what they did with Luhansk and Donetsk People's Republic. So that would be a Kherson People's Republic or t- t- um, uh area, which is going all the way back to the Russian Empire. And there are several uh, schemes like this. Uh, and basically, eventually, this whole area in Putin's mind, going back to Russia and forming the uh, Russian Empire just as it used to be or the Soviet Union. So that's the plan and that's why Mikhailov, which is uh, about 60 kilometers from temporarily occupied Kherson, becomes uh, a very important strategic point. as of now, the Ukrainian army is uh, fight not just fighting back, but uh, reportedly uh, taking some steps to start a counteroffensive. And uh, since I'm writing daily reports for um, Euromaidan Press, I kind of follow up the situation, and I can tell you that this is not confirmed even by all um, Ukrainian military authorities. So some would say, Say that counteroffensive is already happening, and the others are saying that we're just standing strong and that basically more artillery, heavy artillery, heavy weapons from the west are needed before the counteroffensive can take place. Um, so one thing is clear that Bikalayev is standing. Uh, the Russians cannot enter it, and because of that, uh, they are firing at the city and the Mikhailiv Oblast. And Oblast is the region, it's the Ukrainian word for the region. Uh, so basically, it's the area around the city. So they are Uh, firing and launching uh, the missiles, um, as they call it, the um, high-precision weapons, which they are not because they are constantly uh, hitting the residential areas and uh, there are reports of destroyed buildings, that are just residences every day. Just today uh, there was a five-story building destroyed, three stories, three floors were destroyed, and um, as of now I believe there are seven people uh, or I should say bodies found, and um, not to go into details, but they're using cluster munition, and that is particularly destructive. So sometimes... It's not that the whole body is being found. Uh, they ha- The rescuers have to look for the fragments of the bodies.
0: Pretty grisly stuff. And in the view of the Ukrainian authorities, what the people of Mykolaiv are being subjected to at the moment, and my understanding, there's still nearly a quarter of a million people in the city, 230,000 people. That's that w- correct. Are, that what they're being subjected to, is effectively a terrorist attack, that this is the site of a war crime with innocent civilians being remorselessly targeted.
1: Yes, and, you know, to a certain extent, words do not really deliver the real situation because when I was there just exactly a week ago on the 22nd of June, um, we started uh, uh, by having an interview in some open space and I'm actually not at the liberty to reveal any geographic um, locations because um, the military authorities, they are constantly under threat and they have to move around so they are not being hit by the Russians. So it was quite hard hard to get an interview and uh, we were moving around and uh, the 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 Olga Malarchuk, who is just this incredible young woman uh, a military spokesperson and advisor to Vitali Kim, uh, the head of the military administration, telling uh, me opening up and telling about her family and the horror of the first days of the war and I'm just asking her. Uh, how is it now? Because, you know, I've heard a lot from other people I interview about the first days of the war and it's important, but I want to know how is it feeling now because I, I read that yesterday Mikhailov was being shelled and as I close my mouth, literally at this point, there's this boom boom like thud and I have it on the audio that I have rec- I, I'm recording all my interviews to then write them down so I have it I, I've listened to it many times and and not only you hear it the bench is jumping up you know the whole air is moving everything is vibrating and um, and she's very calm and she goes yes that's what happens that's our daily life let's get to the bomb shelter and I can tell you that in Odessa people are kind of silly me included we're not going to bomb shelters we kind of there's a lot of explosions but um we are not targeted as heavily here in Odessa and I guess it's the human nature and also the Odessa spirit I can tell you it's not a good thing but there. In my life, it was pretty straightforward. We have to go f- to the bomb shelter, which we did, and then, of course, I had a great long interview because when you, are you know, a person you interview, you you would understand, Adria, like as a journalist, right? She has no way; she can't escape my questions. She's right there <laughs> in the bomb shelter, so.
0: Nowhere to hide, no. But I mean no. it, it is uh and, and you've obviously experienced that now firsthand. The the assault on Mikolaev and it is a almost a siege of the city really, is intense and for the reason that you've explained, it is so strategically important because Russia wants to build this Band across Ukraine, a band of territory, which it hopes it will be able to then declare effectively as part of Russia and part of this creation of this Eurasian Empire that Putin has previously spoken about.
1: Yes, that is correct, and also we have to keep in mind that um, there's a certain strategy that the Russians use um, when they are at war. They use it in Chechnya, they use it in Syria, and they are now using it here. We saw it in Mariupol. We are seeing it now in Donbass, in Severodonetsk, and now in Lysitschansk, when they are just erasing the cities from the face of Earth, and all that is left are those... uh, uh, ruins of what used to be buildings, and that's that's one of my strongest impression there. When when finally after seven missiles were fired, and it was done, and the air raid is done, and so after two hours in the bomb shelter, we step out and we drive to the um, ruin of of the of the building that the most of the world has seen uh, because it. it it has this arch inside. There's this hole inside of the building. Um, it was hit on uh, March 29th, and um, when, when you are there, rather than lo- looking at it at the picture, um, you just feel it in your bones and in your skin, and not only we looked at it, I, I mean, I I think because she was just two minutes late, Um and she was running some errands, and she wasn't at her office on the fourth floor when the, the missile hit, and that's where her colleagues and friends have perished, and so she's drawn to it, and she she took me and my fixer, my friend, Natalia, up, and we, we went, you know, and here during the war in Ukraine, there you know, certain safety precautions like they would be in uh, America, Uh, or probably in the UK, Uh, they do not apply, so you don't wear a safety helmet or anything. You just walk up in this ruin, and it was a very windy day, so everything is moving. These wires are moving, and there are maps, like a paper map on the floor that is making this sound, like everything is alive, but also very dead. I wrote about it in the article, how... um, all the little objects that usually make a lot of sense and that we don't even notice, like cups or forks or uh, a bottle of per- perfume, a scarf, um, they, they all taken out of context. It's like Roland Barthes, you know, mythologists. They 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 lose their, their meanings. They become something else, and that's feeling, I'm, I'm still trying to to grasp it and to mentally or emotionally work through that. This is something that goes into your gut and stays there.
0: Wow, that's a really vivid and deep exploration of what it's like to be there, Serena, and I really thank you for sharing that with us because... You know, I'm, I'm getting chills as I'm listening to that and admire your courage and bravery and being there and that of everybody else is there. Some people like you choosing to be there to, in order to tell the truth of the people being there because it's their home. It's where they live and they don't want to leave because that's their little piece of land. There is a more upbeat story to tell I think about Snake Island, and people remember right at the start of the war where um uh, it's a a little offshoot isn 't it a little b- b- scrap of land which strategically is quite important. And uh, as the Russian submarine approached, if my memory is correct, Serena, help me out if I'm wrong, the Russians uh, called on some Ukrainian soldiers there to give up. And the Ukrainian soldiers delivered an expletive to the Russian uh, ships that were coming in and told them basically to F off. And it was thought that the soldiers, the Ukrainian soldiers, had died. It turns out they hadn't died. But Ukraine now has managed to somehow regain control of Snake Island.
1: Yes, and this would be a good transition from our Mikhailov story and report to moving to the sea, to the Black Sea, because what Olga said in her interview and what was really important, that Ukraine is standing strong and Ukrainian soldiers know how to fight, but they can't fight without weapons. And they can't fight without heavy artillery. And the request is for more weapons. They will protect, she said, Europe and the world from from this evil force. But they cannot do it without uh, the weapons. And clearly what happened with the Snake Island, transitioning back to to our good story now, is... um, on having received some of the weapons, which um, is not a good idea to share. You you can find them in some sources, but as I just um, interviewed Ben Horges, Lieutenant General uh, Ben Hodges, who was the uh, U.S. commander for the whole U.S. Army in Europe, and he started with a statement that we are not supposed to know as the general public how many uh, howitzers or how uh, many heavy artillery pieces went to help Ukraine on a certain um, a part of the front. So we do, you know, I'm not going to go into these details, but oh. uh, having received what they needed, let's put it this way, uh, Ukrainians were able to. To get the Russians the hell off the island, and I can tell you so many stories about it. I'll have to really curb it, but let me try. Uh, first of all, I witnessed it. I, I I live in a amazing location. I'm 15 minutes from the sea and 15 minutes from downtown. So. Uh, uh, by the time I'm done with my daily reports, which I do for Euromaidan Press, you could see daily um, information uh, of the most important things that happened on Euromaidan Press. So by the time I'm done and I, I do some other articles, my brain is fried and I, I just need to take a break, so I walk to the sea and to my uh, beloved Langeron Beach, and there uh, the, the other day on Sunday when I was writing an article about um, the uh, our air, Ukrainian air defense hit the missile right over my head. And I can tell you, Adrian, it was so loud. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. Uh, like everything, like all the walls, it was much uh, louder than the explosions in Mykolaiv because it was right above our heads. And uh, the funny thing that everybody just goes back to where they were. I was sitting at a cafe with my computer working. I went back and everybody else just went back, you know, like we kind of paid for the food. Let's just get back to it. That's, the, you know, f- famous or infamous Ukrainian and Odessa spirit, you know, like we don't give a, <laughs> an F, as you say, you know, <laughs> like you can't scare us. We're just <clears throat> eating the ice cream here. And so yesterday I, I did the same. I went for a walk along the beach and I saw some people actually tweeted about it. You could see it. Um, there are some crazy people who are swimming in the sea and this is prohibited and it's really not smart because the, it's full of mines. And from time to time, we hear the reports of people exploding on the mines just from going to the beach. But I saw six people swimming or sitting on the beach. And as they were swimming, I heard this very deep vibrations like it was so, it's like a sea monster. Is there, and everybody else who was walking around with their dogs and children, we all heard it. And what it was—that was this operation by uh, of liberating the Snake Island.
0: The Russians claimed that their withdrawal was a goodwill gesture, uh, (laughs) so that that grain corridor, a grain corridor, could be opened. But the. the Ukrainian government is saying clearly they've forced the Russians out of there because Snake Island is just off Odessa and it is really strategically important. Again, part of this area that you're describing that Russia hopes to build across the southern part of Ukraine uh, from Transnistria, Moldova, across then going towards Mikhailov and Hershon and so on. So joining up this belt towards eastern Ukraine. So holding Snake Island is really a key part of maintaining that, all the links in that chain. So getting it back is a really big deal for Ukraine.
1: It's so big, Edwin. It, you know, on so many levels too, strategically, because uh, the Russians had their air defense, and without that, they wouldn't be able to protect their ships. So that undermines their position of their fleet in the Black Sea. And uh, tomorrow I will share the interview with Ben Horges, and he actually um, gives a really good analysis of the uh, Russian incapability of... Um, of, of their amphibious forces of the fleet. Uh, so that that's really interesting. So, and they're losing now, they have even less um, potential there. Uh, and it's also morale is so important in the war. You know, if you listen to any military experts, everything is about the morale because you can have great logistics and great equipment, but if your uh, troops, if your forces, personnel, um, Uh, uh, demoralized, uh, you wouldn't be getting very far. And this is a big blow on the Russian Federation Army morale, because Snake Island was one of the first uh, objects that they captured. Uh, Then there was this phrase coined, which is the motto of the Ukrainian resistance. Uh, you know, the Russian military ship go after yourself. Um, And also, there a lot of uh, mythological connotation. It's an ancient island. Uh, It's according to legends, if you look it up, um, some people have it that uh, it was uh, Achilles' uh, tomb, that he was buried there, and it's um, uh, mentioned by Plinius the Elder and in a bunch of historical texts, and according to one of the really nasty <laughs> ideologists of the modern Russia, Alexander Dugan, uh, the Apollo's um, uh, temple was there. And whoever, uh, uh, literally it's a quote from Dugan. whoever has the snake island rules the world. <laughs> so it's That's a amazing, big, amazing. big, blow. And I hope yep. so too. There's another one other time I'll tell you this legend about Poseidon and the whole Neptune um relationship in this whole it's kind of an interesting story I don't think we'll have time today but some other time I'll tell you and it's fascinating. Well, you,
0: you tease you tease <laughs> uh, before we close and I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, I'm incredibly grateful for the time you've given us and the very vivid way in which you've given us a sense of the the war in which you are in the midst. I just want to get a word with Mordecai, who's joining us from the United States, a regular listener to Byline Radio. And Mordecai, uh, thank you for asking to join the conversation. Did you want to say something to Zarina? Uh, Yes. uh, Hi, Zarina. Um, Hi. I'm wondering wondering that the people uh, of Ukraine, some in the area where uh, things are good, some in the area where things are are bad. Do they uh, grasp and go to and listen to President Zelensky um, more than their actual personal experiences? Um, which one, which one affects them more? What do they listen to more uh, in order for their own personal feelings? In order for their own personal safety?
1: But it's a very good question. Um, I think it's a combination from what I've seen, and I interview a lot of people, and I, I meet a lot of Ukrainian people on a daily basis, and I talk and ask them about everything, including the way they feel about their president. And I can tell you that Of course, what you hear is true. The support for Zelensky is overwhelming. Uh, I I met a few people, like maybe like one percent of people I personally talked to. Uh, who had funny conspiracy theories, um, and I think we have mentioned them here uh, with Adrian before, and that included Zelensky working for Putin, Putin working for Zelensky, Biden working for Putin. So there, there, there is like a, a healthy dose of conspiracy, but that's really rare. What really is common is um, seeing Zelensky as a leader. And this is what is really important important. He delivers his nightly speeches, uh, like sometimes in, in the morning and at night, and people really listen to him. Ukrainians are very skeptical about their authorities. They, These are not Russians or some other <laughs> nationalities who would Y- you know adore or idolize their leaders that that is not the case but they certainly respect him and he certainly does a great job providing inspiration and hope and explanations where they are needed so overall it's very positive and i think people first of all of course go to their own feelings and experiences than to their local elected officials and they also listen to Zelensky. That's my impression.
0: That's great. So thank you, Mordecai. Zarina, before you go, just tell us the situation now then in Odessa where you are, clearly under less threat generally than Nikolaev, but still a city where air raids and occasional strikes are a part of daily life
1: now. Yeah, I mean, we today we had only three or four air raids, which feels like a holiday and a weekend because the previous many days it, it was like, all the time. You don't even know if it's an air raid or not. Like, you don't know when one stopped and another started. And sometimes you hear them, and sometimes you close the window and you don't. But sometimes when the church uh, bells start to ring and the siren starts howling, it, it could really, it's, it's annoying. It's, you know, like when you're in New York and the fire engine is going, or the poli- police or ambulance is like, ooh, ooh, that's like this... All the time. So, and then also, of course, the explosions which happen several times a day, and sometimes they happen, and it's not like you always know what happened. Uh, a lot of times it's uh, confidential, or there could be training, or there is some infrastructure objects that is not okay to share with the general public. So, you hear something very close and like your walls are vibrating but you never find out what it was and seemingly it's okay and sometimes it's not okay uh like especially in odessa region uh, there were people uh injured including children and um but the spirit and morale are great that the you know people outside they're trying to uh look great there's Cultural life is, oh, my God, if I wanted to go to all the exhibits and theatre shows that are happening, I would never have time to speak to you or write articles or do anything else.
0: (laughs) Well, listen, Zarina, it is great to speak to you again and hear you in such upbeat mood considering everything that you've experienced. I would recommend people as well check out the previous podcast we did where you described a wonderful night at the opera, a night at the theatre, including opera and ballet, in Odessa, such as the defiance and the spirit of the people of that city. Really appreciate your time. And you can follow Zarina on Twitter, at Zarina Zabrisky. You can read her reports in the Euromaiden News as well. Uh, I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been Byline Radio, or on Catch Up, the Byline Times podcast, funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper. Do Take out a subscription if you can, because it helps to fund Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast as well as the brilliant newspaper. Check it out at bylinetimes.com. That's where you'll find details of how to subscribe, at bylinetimes.com, reporting without fear or favour. Thanks very much indeed for listening. We'll see you all again very soon. Thank you and good night. Cheers, Serena.
1: Bye.